The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. The Podcast of Terror is a great podcast. It's covering movies that are not for children, and thus this podcast is not for children. The hosts are two adults who will use bad words from time to time. They'll also spoil movies if that's not your thing. So if you don't like spoilers and you don't want to hear some dirty language or some dirty references to dirty parts of your body, then please, please, please wash your body parts better and do not listen to this show. If you can handle it, and I hope you can because there's a great podcast coming up, then please proceed with Podcast of Terror. Corey, I couldn't help but notice that you're wearing a shirt. I try to whenever possible. Uh, there were laws passed. What are the odds that you wear a shirt every day of your life? Almost forty percent. At a boy. Well, let me let me tell you about a little uh, sales bonanza we got going here. We got some friends. These uh, these friends got some codes. Go visit our friends uh, at the Hate. That's the. If you can't spell the, go back to school. Hate H V I I I dot com. Use the code HPG fifteen get fifteen percent off your order. And if your tits still require more fabric. Go to status. I need to double up. You got to double, double. You never have too much tit fabric. Go to statusforyourmerch.com, use the code TERROR, and, uh, and get you some sweet discounts there. Welcome to episode 91 of the Podcast of Terror, production of... Eagle Acting Network. I'm your host, Matt Stein. With me, as always, is Corey, four fingers in my butt, Scott. I mean, not all at once. Well, why? What or good alone. is it? Don't you start with one and then move to two? No, you, you like a progression. Yeah, you, you, you go knuckle, butt and, finger. Right, yeah. You've got you've to take your time and savor. Corey likes it when you go in dry. But they're chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. I love chicken fingers. I'm, I haven't <laughs> eaten dinner, and I'm drinking, and I really want chicken fingers now. So this is probably going to be a messy show. Our guest this week, uh, he's the author of A God in the Shed. Is it A God or just God in the Shed? It's A God in the Shed. A God in the Shed. Co-host of the Overcast podcast and purveyor of poutine, J.F. DuPont, my old French pal. How are you doing, buddy? Je vais bien. I'm doing well. Is it? How, how are you, you doing, Matt? This, uh, this is a, an American podcast. We speak American here. You introduced me as your French friend, so I Which felt like I needed to sort of. I felt like I needed to sort of prove my credentials your as French. a French. <laughs> just, I'll pr- I'll prove the friend part later. You're French Canadian. That's close enough. So funny. Uh, my mom went gambling yesterday, won like eight hundred dollars, and she just sends me a picture of like her credits on a slot machine, and I'm like, "How many freedom dollars is that?" And she had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> like a freedom dollar is a fucking American dollar, woman. I don't want to have to hit one. So. Mom. Did, did she gamble in Canada, is what you're getting at? No, not at all. It was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh-oh. On the reservation. As one does. Yeah. Um, Jeff, do you want to talk about your book and your podcast or whichever one means more to you right now? Amy probably <laughs> listens to this, so um, you're on the spot now. No, it's it's okay. She she understands that my allegiance uh, my allegiance moves depending on the uh, the promotional needs I have right now. The, since the book's coming out, bah, what it's what day is this releasing? So, okay, so we're recording this on the fourth. This will get released on the sixth, and the book comes out the fifteenth. So next Thursday, no matter what we. So say. yeah, it's 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 releasing on the fifteenth. This is the important thing, which is considered in a chronological term as soon. 
Uh, in fact, there the uh, if anybody who really really wants to have an early digital copy can just buy it off of Inkshares and they'll have access to digital copies immediately. So, in technically, it's already in the wild. Oh, so Meanwhile, for for Overwatch, I mean, we talk about Overwatch every week. So, if uh, if you're listening to this and you did support your Inkshares, do you know when the books are going out? Cough, cough. Me, I want to know when my books are going to show up. Cough, cough. Oh, you mean when when the the actual physical books that uh, you pre-ordered on Inkshares are yes. shipping? Yes. I've already gotten notification that mine's been shipped. I yes, I would. Ooh. I got. I have to go look right now because I moved since then. And I don't want more packages showing up in my old house because I don't want to deal with that fucking beast of a woman that bought my house. <laughs> uh, there's a good chance, unless you change the address on, at Inkshares, there's a good chance that that's where it's going to go because that's the address they have. And I don't know why. They, they used to have a system where they would ask you to confirm your address, but you don't do that anymore, and it's weird. You're uh, Currently, if you go to the Inkshares website, your book is on right center. Ooh, is it? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to see the same thing you do because uh, I'm logged in, so I have a different interface as an author. Mm-hmm. I log in, the first thing I see is the Nerdist Sci-Fi Contest, which I yeah, assume you're uh, entering? Are you not entering? I am not entering. Uh, I have been polite- politely asked not to enter. <laughs> are, they, are they sick of you winning all the time? Um, I've only only I've only won one contest, a sort of laser contest for my first book, The Life Engineered. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm not, um, it's, it's not that is basically it's, it's a complex thing. I'm not supposed to talk too much about, but it, because the contest is with one type of producer, which is legendary, which owns Nerdist and like the deal with a certain agency. And, uh, currently the books I'm working on are represented by another agency. It's, it's a question of not pissing off people and also not pissing off actual, uh, contestants, because I'm basically, I'd be showing up with like my posse of readers, and it's uh, that the contests are there to give a chance to people who are kind of new on the platform of getting right. some good visibility, and I'd be sort of hijacking that, or so I'm told. Yeah, and is your next science fiction novel the sequel to uh, Life Engineered, anyways? Uh, isn't it Arc Android? Exactly. And, and to be honest, I am going to see because the, the contest lasts until I think July. So I'm going to see if uh, if they're OK with me sneaking in a late entry with that book. But I have a feeling they're going to tell me they're going to politely say, you know, what, you don't No, Don't don't do that. They sound like dicks. And speaking of dicks, <laughs> my dogs are barking. They're dicks. Um, I, 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 understand, I understand your concern, and the, the thing is, like, to, to again, like, a lot of that is inside baseball, so I don't want to get too much into details because I don't want to speak out of turn. But the, the reason, like, one reason is that they they don't want me entering contests is because a lot of the stuff that contests will do for an author, they already do for me outside of the contest parameters. So it's kind of like double dipping my chip, if you will. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because you've got. Now, two books that are essentially going to series that have both been published through Inkshares, and the whole point of Inkshares is to get a book essentially funded. It's a, a crowdfunding type of platform in a very interesting way. Um, but with the sequels, do you need to go through that whole crowdfunding thing again, or are they just going to get published at this point? No, I still need to go through the, the crowdfunding unless they decide that like the first book was successful enough 
that they don't need to have that that sort of a validation from the crowds. So Life Engineered was not successful enough that Ink Shares is giving me like it's not it's not like it was a complete failure, but it's not it's not good enough to guarantee that the sequel will pay for itself without pre-orders. Um, and in a way, I'm okay with that because I kind of want to prove to myself that I can fund the sequel. It's a, a rite of passage, if you will. Um, as for Gone to Shed, well, the jury's still out. Like, the, the book's been optioned. If it actually turns into a TV series, I think they'll have a really hard time convincing me it needs to be funded. Right. It's like, if it becomes a TV series that is even so slightly successful, uh, at that point, Ink Shares like, yeah, I think we should uh, pre-sell 750 copies. Like, really? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather have me work on the book? So if this becomes a TV show, can I play The Shed? Um, you would need to eat a lot to be of the proper side and have some uh, some old uh, wooden paneling installed. <laughs> so you're saying I'm the shed. <laughs> I just want to be inside. Yeah, how much how much paneling do you have installed, Corey? Uh, it's mostly veneer at this point, <laughs> but I'm willing to have it. Oh no, veneer is too nice. See, we can't yeah. do that. No, um, the, the 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 fun thing about this kind of stuff is the like it. Selling, optioning the book, selling the rights to the book, A, doesn't mean they're actually making a TV series. And even if they do, I have no say whatsoever about anything. The point is, I'm not, they're not borrowing the rights. They're buying them. So at that point, they can turn it into a My Little Pony, My Friendship is Magic spinoff if they want. I have no say. Which I could absolutely see from the book. Oh, yes. It's totally <laughs> the same thematic, isn't it? I, I enjoy the part where Rainbow Sparkle starts carving up people's eyes. <laughs> that sounds disturbing. Did either of you ever watch the Bronies documentary on Netflix? I have. It is. It's interesting as it's, fuck. It's it's weird because you can't. I, I ended that documentary extremely ambivalent about how I felt about that community. Like I get it. <laughs> I but I kind of don't want to get it. But yeah. now I have a begrudging respect for it, but I don't want to. Well, like there's this whole, like I'm all for, I'm really glad that these people have found other people like them, but there's a line. Like it's, it's still kind of fucking weird. Super weird. I don't know. It's like furries. Like get it. I get it. Like do, do what you got to do. Teach their own, but yeah, you got to put a, fucking fur head on to get hard on it's it's the same thing if people think that i'm weird that i watch horror movies for a podcast every week uh, and i'm not even the fan that my wife is and you've seen what her art is like uh that as long as it's not harming anybody else it, then you get to enjoy what you get to enjoy that's true and, and I, I think i mentioned this before my son is a furry and i'm i'm totally okay with that and i've gotten to understand them and, and appreciate the the culture a little bit more because of experiencing it through what he does. Um, but it's it's still, it's not my thing, but that's like saying that I'm supposed to enjoy sports because sports is what every red-blooded American is into, and I just am not that way. I also have problem enjoying the sports puck and things like that, which makes me a bad Canadian, I'm told. a horrendous Canadian. I, I like I like I prefer soccer to American football, which makes me a shitty American. You know what I mean? So they're both bad games, but okay. <laughs> I still I still play soccer. 
in my third See, okay, here's the thing, right? You play soccer and you love soccer and you follow soccer. That to me is normal. What I have a bit more problem with is people who have never freaking put on skates that will just get into a mad frenzy about which sports puck team needs to. It's like you don't it's you don't participate. You don't like your only emotional investment is completely fabricated. At least acknowledge that. And then they'll say things like, we won the cup. No, I, 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 I run into a lot. So my, my preferred soccer team is Chelsea. They're a London team. And I find myself often going, oh, we did this, we did this. And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't fucking do anything. I watched it. I did not participate. But I get the community sense of saying, we did this. We're a team. We're blah, blah, blah. We jerk each other off in the shower afterwards. I, I just got a book published called A God in a Shed by J.F. DeBow. Yeah, because I'm a fan, it's my book too. You know, it's... Well, back up, Corey. Actually, see, this is, <laughs> this is where you're wrong because you guys that pre-ordered a book and helped these books get published yes. actually do actively participate. Yeah. <laughs> you're not just cheering from the sideline going, hey, I ate nachos while you did the thing. Yeah, but those people are also paying to watch those sports teams. Those people are also it's supporting them and buying their merchandise and everything else. And without those fans, then they'd just be kids playing on the street. That's Fine. How we got to that, but he's not wrong. Right. Well, I'm not prepared. I wasn't prepared to go into that level of discussion. (laughs) No, we're not going to. For more on this podcast, including show notes, content information, subscription links, go to gncast.com slash pot. You can chat with us on our Slack channel during our shows at gncast.com slash sign up. While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, Before we go ahead and get into some news, because if I don't keep this thing rolling, We'll be no going well. And it's late in Canada. Um, yeah, we're going to do some news. Then we're going to talk about Sinister, which I fucking love that movie, so I'm really pumped. We got to do the old What You Drinking? JF is our guest. You get to go first. Oh, good. So I'm having a lime ginger whiskey, Ooh. which is the first time I'm having it. And I'm, uh, I'm having it with the whiskey I chose is Writer's Tears. Because oh, nice. if you're gonna have, if you're gonna drink whiskey as a writer, I think that's the one. Um, especially for mixes, because it's not the best or most expensive whiskey, so you're not wasting like a delicious scotch. And I, it's the first time I'm having it. It is, uh, is surprisingly delicious. So I'm probably gonna have more, Just a lot more. more. That's what we're here for. Let me see here, uh, Corey. What, uh, what are you into? I am, I am gleefully having my Lipton iced tea. We had a issue with our ice maker this week and i thought i was going to have a complete meltdown phrasing because i don't know what i would do i live off of iced tea and my 19 year old cat needs ice water about five times a day so i really was going to uh commit harikari if i didn't get that thing working again and uh fortunately uh, I got it reset and fixed, but it was uh, it was a tough couple of days. Awesome. So, well, is your cat in cryogenics? What's going on here? No, he's just he's old and he's crotchety, and he cries if you don't give him ice water, and then he'll cry at the bowl with the ice in it for a little while until he finally remembers of how to drink it. 
Uh, and now he's at a point where I have to kind of carry him to his litter box to, to take him to relieve himself because he forgets what to do or where to go or how to climb into things. He's just, he's, he's an old man. That's awesome. It's not awesome. Yeah. Um, so if you're watching this, I normally like to show the bottles. My camera's in a box somewhere. I don't know where the fuck it is. So we're going to try and do this without displaying any pornography. Do a screen share, maybe. Maybe not. Just at this point, drawing dicks on the screen. <laughs> uh, full screen. But it's go. not pornography because it's yours. It's, it's, it's really, it's my No one's surprised. All right. So everyone's going to see you guys now. You're going to see that. All right. So first up, I have, uh, it is called, uh, it's Barrel-Aged Highland Charge from Heathen Brewing. Yeah, I'm bad. not really paying attention. I'm just, I'm just looking at your tabs. <laughs> There's no pornography. I'm bidding on shit on eBay. It's our show, Facebook, my illegally downloading. Yeah, it's nothing terrible. Um, Highland Chart, it's a, it's a heavy scotch ale, barrel aged. Um, really fucking good. And then to celebrate our French friend, I fucking hate these things. It is a, a, a Saison from E9. Um, and it's that French word. What, is Ooh. That? what does that mean? Which one? The one up there. The Pedre? That, that one. Ale? No, no, no. Le Pilgrim? Oh, yeah, what does that mean? Oh, shit. It's like... Because down here it says oh, the Pilgrim. Yeah, it, no, it, that's, that's what it is. Okay. All right, we're going to stop it's, sharing now. Get the fuck out of here. That's what I'm drinking. As for, as for saison, that means season. I do. I fucking love... <laughs> saisons. Did I say it right? Saisons. No. Oh. Say. Say. Zon. More, more, more of a Z. Say. Saison. There you go. There you go. I'm not gonna remember this any, any of this tomorrow morning. Well, um, not if you drink all your saison. Uh, it's not even. It's a. It's, it's a pretty small bottle. It's the Highland Chargers is a 25. I think it was a 750 milliliters, so 25 ounces. Uh, the saison is uh, only like a 12 ounce bottle. No, oh, I see. Well, yeah, my shirt's like coming what? off, and no one's gonna even know. Mama see, mama saw, mama kusa. I wear moccasins too. All right, let's get into some news here. Um, first up, which this story makes me ultra mega butt hurt. Uh, TNT, like the cocksuckers they are, have decided to cancel M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong's Tales from the Crypt. Wait, was that even out yet? Nope. It was happening, wasn't happening, happening, wasn't happening, and now they cancel it for good. I don't think it's TNT's fault, though, because as I recall, the problem was is that they were fighting with issues with the rights. For the series, uh, they had believed they had gotten the rights, and then they went into this whole hell of, of lawyers and trying to figure things out. And at the same time, uh, when it was announced initially, I think Split hadn't come out yet, and then did and got announced as we're going to follow it up with a sequel to It and Unbreakable. And so it was the moment of, oh shit, M. Night Shyamalan might actually be relevant again and might have some some fan interest finally after all this bullshit with Mark Wahlberg and water and every fucking thing. And now they're like, okay, so if we can get this to work out, and M. Night's like, uh, twist ending, I'm the fuck out of here. I could actually get work now. So I don't know if it's necessarily the problem with TNT, but I do have some concerns because they had announced a couple of their horror-related shows that were supposed to go with it, and now what they seem to be doing is working with Ridley Scott to do a science fiction block instead i don't know if that means that those other two shows have also been killed off 
uh, or if they're still coming and they just kind of like, yeah, but now our eggs are in this other basket. Hmm. I like eggs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's what I was going to say. I was gonna, this is the worst time to cancel this because Shamalayan is kind of having like his renaissance. I don't know if he's the one who decided like, oh, well, the contract's up. I'm, I'm out of here. But just having his name on it, even if you get other writers, if he's just like a producer, that's still, still I, good. I, I don't know if it's necessarily that he made the decision either or any of the decisions, but it seems to me that because of, of how things are working out for him right now, that he could have just reworked the show to not include Tales from the Crypt and made an anthology series himself and done all the things and just started out from scratch. And it would have been likely to be successful even without those ties. Cause we already knew that there was going to be a new take on the Crypt Keeper, Crypt Keeper, which is not something I was really hoping for. I wanted to see the original one as close to it back. Uh, so either way, he's just there to bookend the, 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 the show. Like, right. But it's he's not important. He's window dressing, but then why even call it tales from the crypt for the brand? There's tales from the dark side. There's a lot of other brands that they could have stolen from. Yeah, but that's the one they had contracted. So I guess like once that sort of got taken off the table. Yeah, we we talked about the anthology series that they had for Friday the Thirteenth. They had the anthology series for Nightmare on Elm Street. Both of these things had nothing to do with the actual movies that they were based off of, but they still had those those bumpers at the beginning and end. So they could have done the same thing with this or just created a whole new brand and like he could have had more control over it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would, so love, I like, would have loved to see what they would do with like a new thing concerning have, like, how things have changed. Because Kills him to Chris. Paul, Paul Giamatti in a waiting pool just at the beginning. <laughs> of the- <laughs> Hello. That would have been creepy. I, I would actually, I would like to see Paul Giamatti in a waiting pool. Okay. No. I, I, all I'd have is a mirror, and it would work fine. No, I, it, I'm, I'm disappointed to not get Tales from the Crypt back, mm-hmm. but I'm not necessarily disappointed to have a reworked, re-envisioned Tales from the Crypt. But at that point, why not just make a new show? Right, exactly. Why call it Tales from the Crypt? You have... Um, and so- the question is then: Is TNT going to still do these other two horror-themed shows, or are they they backing away from that? And they said, "Well, we can't make that genre work because the thing that we're hooked on uh, isn't going to happen. So let's go to science fiction instead." Uh, but now this is we're finally in the midst of Sci-Fi Channel deciding that they like science fiction again. So do we need a block of Sci-Fi shows on the other station? Or maybe that's what they do. Maybe TNT decides, like, every night of the week they're going to do some different kind of genre, uh, which would be great. the worst idea. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great idea. I mean, we're seeing a lot of really cool stuff from both horror and science fiction. You look at things like um, The the Expanse, and there's there's so much cool genre stuff. They could even have something that's freaking fantasy-based if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. considering the success that you have from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I feel like that that's that's something that if TNT just becomes a genre station that you know each end of the week is something else that'll bring in fans, that would be great. That would absolutely be great. I, I just hope that they didn't take 
the we're we're gonna do this horror block, and now that we lost the linchpin of it, we're not gonna do the horror block. Uh, because I don't know if that was that important of a part. Right. That's the question. Like, I, n none of these. Like, t to me, the important part of a horror on anthology on TNT is a horror on anthology on TNT. Like, M Night Shyamalan isn't necessarily a horror icon to begin with. He's more of right. a twist ending type guy. That's maybe thrillers. very true. He's not known for horror. He's known for the twist. Exactly. Twi yeah, and and. Tales from the Crypt doesn't need to be Tales from the Crypt. It can be any any other packaging that you put for, an, for a horror anthology. But right now, horror is, although it's not the biggest overall draw, it is, buck for buck, the best profit maker in, entertain, in entertainment, except for books. Yeah, and I would like to see... Yeah, no one's doing that right now. There, there's certainly... We're getting more stuff in, in, the, in the horror genre... Uh, on TV or on Netflix, it's it's starting to have a resurgence, but we haven't seen a a block. We haven't seen a channel on regular TV, at least, or, or on cable channels uh, dedicated to it yet. There's things like Shutter, which is online. There's there's a few other ones that I think that are, are doing similar things, but that mainstream block of it hasn't really happened. And so that was kind of what I was more excited about is to see someone really double down on and say let's let's focus on this and that could be what pulls it more into the, the general guy zeitgeist than what we've been seeing on regular television. Yeah. And if you, if you just look at the popularity of, uh, of things like, like night Vale, like lore, uh, last podcast on left, like the, the, the love for true crime and horror is probably at an all time high. But it's... Uh, crypt is releasing like these little five minute shorts on online that are just, they're, they're, gorgeous they're great it's a good time for this they're dumb for canceling this yeah it's it's really hard to argue that because literally you could film a turd for an hour and put tales from the crypt on it and you know someone would love it i guess that's true like once you basically they they're trading in the easy cheat code access to the genre for having to actually make up their own thing and build their own brand and maybe that's spooked them mm -hmm. uh, but we are talking about hollywood of today whereas more often than not the reason why these shows or movies are happening is because they've got a brand that they're trying to reestablish. that's why we're getting new alien movies we're getting new halloween movies uh we've struggled for some reason with friday the 13th but it is kind of a, well, let's put this back out there again and see if people will bite one more time. And finding the original things that both are good and connect to the audience in the same way is tough. So when you get something like Stranger Things, it's like, okay, well, Stranger Things just blew up. But can we make another Stranger Things or are we going to do something where it struggles and then just disappears into the ether? Uh, even the Scream TV series, while, you know, had some popularity and, and has made it back for a third season, isn't really lighting things on fire with the, the genre fans uh, in the way that, that you would expect from something that was so huge at one point. I guess. Is this... I don't know. I'm, I'm 
I'm only getting seriously into the horror thing because of the book I wrote. Like I'm getting back into horror in a way I'd probably never have been before. And I find I find it super exciting to see things like Stranger Things and very disappointing when certain certain company producer distributors have the opportunity to you know to try to roll the dice to attempt to get that and they chicken out. Yeah. So TNT uh, if you need JF's contact info, uh, we can set you up with it because it seems like you've got a, a hole in your block that you need filled, and there happens to be someone who just had their book optioned uh, to mm-hmm. do a show. So, what time? So, well, actually, TNT, if you absolutely need to, uh, if you want to get my show on your network, you need to contact one Akiva Goldsman. You can probably find his information somewhere. You may have heard of him. And uh, just inquire with, uh, with his people uh, about what you can do about that. The rest is completely out of my hands. I'll give you twenty dollars. <laughs> no. uh, can I get a finder's fee? Yeah, that's twenty dollars Canadian, by the way. Ten percent. Oh, I'd do twenty American dollars. That's like Ooh. what four hundred and fifty Canadian dollars. Excuse I don't me, know if it is these days. Four hundred and fifty Canadian dollar adus. Well, see, here's the thing, Corey. As much as maybe your economy is not doing well, you got to remember. There's our premier, he's really good on television, but he ain't doing our economy any favors either. So, <laughs> but he looks so good in white jeans. I shame. know, and sometimes he wears Star Wars socks. Still, people are on, going unemployed, and people are starving in our country. Help! It's just a that's a sub. It's a sub note. Yeah. A, a, a footnote. 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 Guys, it's a footnote. I figured it out. Footnote. Star Wars socks. I see what you did. Uh. Footnote, let's go on to the next story. That's not really a footnote. Let's just go on to the next story. <laughs> um, the Conjuring 3. So have either of you seen Conjuring 1 and 2? I have not. Well, that sucks. No, and I, I have a laundry list of horror things I need to watch. I have a laundry list of everything. Of I yeah, really laundry. wanted to watch these movies, but I keep not doing it because I imagine at some point it's going to be one of those things we do for the show. Uh, so I, I've skipped out on it, and I'm I'm just I'm frustrated enough now that every time I see something about them, I want to check them out. I want to finally say fuck it, I'll just watch it for my own. But I'm also in the middle of so much fucking TV that I have to catch up on. Well, let's um, the next time we have a guestless episode, we should do one of these. Excellent. The sec- I saw the second one in the theater. It's great. I loved them. Um, but they're they're starting to make the Conjuring three produce, write, whatever you want to call it. Whatever it really is, not whatever you want to call it. Um, and they're saying it's going to be very different from the previous films. Uh, the first Conjuring came out in 2013, which uh, was, as they say, one of the best horror stories in the last decade. The second one uh, was more of the same. It just took place in a different house, and that's they get the nun spinoff from all that. Um, and the, uh, the producer is saying that the... Uh, the next film in the franchise needs to be different from the rest. He's quoted as saying there are some cases that maybe aren't all as well known, but they spent a fair bit of time researching and were part of them. If you're not familiar, The Conjuring is focuses around a husband and a wife. I can't remember their names because I've been drinking. Oh, is it Ed and Lorraine Ed and Warren? Yep, yep. I just found it in here. Thank you very much. Because um, they're listed as a paranormal investigators, uh, but they're known hoaxsters. <laughs> yes, I mean, they are. They, they are documented frauds. Yep, yep. Which I think is super duper weird. But 
I guess they still quote unquote investigated some super famous stories. Famous I guess. Well, I know, I know, and that's that's like saying, oh, this guy who painted a fucking piece of shit is super famous, but he never really painted it. It's just his name on it. But everyone considers him a painter. It'd be something Van Gogh didn't really paint all the paintings he painted, um, but he's still a painter. Can someone shut me up? <laughs> uh, no, no, this is good. No. <laughs> so one of the things that's interesting about the Conjuring movies is that it's not just the Conjuring movies anymore. They franchise. They've they've got the spinoff coming out based off of the Multiple. the Nun. Uh, yeah, they've got another spinoff coming. Yeah, uh, which itself is going to get the Nun. So that it's it's one of those things that what a what you see a lot in Hollywood right now is everybody's trying to create their own franchises. There's the Universal is doing other Universal monsters with their Dark Universe stuff, which they're starting with the Mummy uh, with Tom Cruise and is involving uh, Jekyll and Hyde is kind of the the supernatural paranormal investigator group head, and it's going to go into the Bride of Frankenstein and then possibly the Wolfman with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is is being rumored right now. They're trying to create a franchise out of that. Now, at least Universal Monsters have a history of having some crossover stuff, usually with Abbott and Costello. But every <laughs> every company right now is trying to create a franchise. And this one happened a little more naturally. Uh, the the Conjuring came out, and they had the, the spinoff, and then they had the sequel, and now they've got another spinoff, and then the first spinoff is getting a sequel. And then, of course, they're doing the third one in this. So it's nice to see that happen with what is one a original concept um and two that wasn't announced of like oh we're gonna do this new franchise of horror movies and they're all gonna tie together and it's all gonna be these things and then they'll team up at the end i don't know if any of that is even something that would be considered uh the nun going on tour with the the doll and doing like ventriloquist shit but it's still it shows that when you do it without it being that's the focus and you're just trying to tell good stories and make good movies, then it can happen on its own and that's where the success comes from. It doesn't come from trying to force feed that shit into everybody and say, oh yeah, we're seriously, uh, all of these Spider-Man characters that aren't going to actually tie to Spider-Man, but we're going to make them their own shared universe anyways because uh, we have to do something to make money. Thank you. Uh, we're Sony. Please buy our phones. <laughs> No, I, I I agree. Like, it's the difference between having something that's kind of like shoehorned and something that feels more organic. And I, I I like the idea that these these horror franchises have their little connections, but aren't like it's not just like the Conjuring stories presents Annabelle two versus like it's not not yet. And, and that's the thing is this is another one of those those movies that they could have said we'll make a tv series based off of this and call it the conjuring even though it has nothing to do with the regular story from the films or, or the characters from the films but we'll just tie it in by plopping the name on there and using the brand uh, it's very easy to take something like this and make it into a horror anthology tv series that you know when when you lose track of one well you just pop another name onto it and rework it a little bit and there's your second that might be brilliant marketing, though. Yeah. Which and and, and someone created this whole thing themselves, and then they would be the ones who get to benefit from that, as opposed to trying to do a 20- to 30-year-old property 
uh, an IP that's just sitting in a closet somewhere that nobody wants to develop until all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, we've got this new director. He just directed this this film and it had a lot of success. Uh, so let's have him direct this this IP that we have sitting around that isn't doing dick right now. And, and he can blow things up for us. Well, no. Uh, sorry, Jordan Peele just did get out. And they wanted to put him onto their properties. It's like, no, I think I'm going to keep doing my own shit. No, 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 Corey, 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 back, back up. If, if anybody's looking for a property that's just sitting there, <laughs> I have a suggestion. <laughs> just, just call, just call Akiva Goldsman. At I, know a guy, <laughs> I know a guy who just wrote a book. It's coming out on the 15th. Uh, have either of you seen Get Out? I have. What did you think? It, it's, it's, it's pretty good. There are certain parts that feel a bit heavy-handed. Um, but I like how it sort of pivots on itself at some point and everything, everything that's supposed to be social commentary is pushed far into the background and the, the horror aspect of it is just pulled to the foreground. Corey, did you see it? No, uh, wife asked me to, to grab it for her cause she's been wanting to see it and then we just haven't, we've been trying to catch, we've been trying to get through the second season of Twin Peaks cause she's never seen the whole series before. And we want to start watching the Showtime series, so we're about 16 episodes into season two. And, and seven oh. hours of Twin Peaks came out on the first day I saw? Uh, it was it was the Four first two episodes, and now the second two episodes, and tonight's the f- fifth episode. Jesus Christ. We'll be watching Twin Peaks the for the next out. month. Yeah. Whatever. It's unfortunate. So yeah, Conjuring 3. It's the thing that's going to happen. I'm uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, for I'm certainly not upset that it's being made. I just uh, I'm kind of curious to see what happens with it. I mean, I mean, I kind of hate that like it's based on frauds, but it's fine. I, I'll live with it. Is it? No, it's. it's, it's yeah, but they made a Christopher Columbus movie a few years ago, and you just kind of have to accept that sometimes the story is bigger than the reality. It's fine, fine, fine. Can't all live in a Canadian utopia where everyone's nice to each other. Oh, you haven't come to French Canadian, have you? No, I haven't. I've never of, been to Canada. <laughs> speaking of Canadian utopias, uh, Jay, if you want to tell us a little bit about A God in the Shed. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to uh, just give me a second to do a terrible job giving you the book blur because I'm not good at this at all. You fucking wrote it. How do you not know what it's about? <laughs> I know what it's about. I'm not good because okay, here's the thing. Like you write a book and you put like 400 pages of work into it. And then someone says like, oh, can you just like give me the short version? And you, you get like the elevator. You don't understand. It's, it's much too complex and deep and rich to be summed up in two sentences. Yeah, but that's all I have time for. So get to it, writer. Uh, so, Gut in the Shed is a story of a small town in uh, in the eastern townships of Quebec, where uh, this this girl called Venus McKenzie accidentally traps an ancient malevolent god in her backyard shed, and she has to sort of figure out how to not have it trapped there and killing things because that's dangerous. <laughs> Um, all of this happens right after a local serial killer is finally apprehended, which kind of um, sets into motion events that unravels three generations of secrets that have been hiding in that village and the possibility of the shit hitting the proverbial fan. So 
it's uh it's it's gotten some i mean can i can i like be an asshole and read some of the blurbs i got on the book cover because some of, of it's pretty fucking cool do it so I have a, a the, the the one that they put on the actual cover says "Move Over, True Detective." This is one of the most enthralling novels I've read in the last ten years, and this is written by Jerry Smith of Fangoria and Blumhouse.com. I, I have to say, as as having seen the first season of oh, well, both seasons, I sat through the second one somehow of True Detective. A God in the Shed did what I wanted True Detective season one to do. A retro. Uh, whereas we kept expecting True Detective was going to lean into a more supernatural bent at some point, and it never paid off that way. Uh, a God in the Shed is the story that I wanted that to be. Ooh, all right, that's that's a, a high praise. Can I read another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. I'm I'm not good at saying my stuff is good, but I'm good at reading what other people say about it. <laughs> Um, a haunting and sinister tale. Dubose distinguishes himself as one of the most original voices in the genre today. I don't, I don't agree with that, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading it because of who wrote this. Uh, with a gorgeously gruesome imagination, he is a writer of Watched. And that was written by Anthony Cipriano, the creator of Bates Motel. So, props to my publisher for getting me really good book blurbs. I'm curious how much he paid for those. Um. Don't know. I'm gonna ask to ask them. <laughs> You're not expected to pay that shit back, are you? Uh, no, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think the uh, it would be ethical to pay for book blurbs like that. What they usually do is they print something called advanced reader copies uh, or ARCs, and they send them to as many people as possible. And if these people like the books, they'll send the blurb in. Mm-hmm. So well, that's, that's either way. Regardless, that's still really fucking cool now where's the other side of that though where that person then contacts you and says hey uh i read your book i really enjoyed it would you be interested in working on something uh related to one of my properties like we're finishing up bates motel right now but i've got this new series or maybe i'm interested in doing a god in the shed and uh, i heard it got optioned uh how do i get to be part of the writer's room on that funny thing about that they don't contact me they contact the people who own the rights so I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm in the clear for that kind of stuff. But what happens if they contact you about your next thing? That that's um, the thing too is that we we talked about IPs in Hollywood, but Hollywood's always hungry for the next intellectual property as well. And if you're a content creator, uh, it's like so. Andy Weir did The Martian, and The Martian blew up, and everything about that happened. And now his second book we know is already going to be made into a film, and we haven't even seen the book yet. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Artemis, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, see, the the difference between me and Andy Weir is that Andy Weir is a New York Times bestselling author, and I'm uh, some dude who wrote a book. So no one's necessarily beating down my door to offer me deals. Um, but, does that mean I'm not working with some people to try to generate more work for myself? Of course I am. Um, and if this book is at least moderately successful or at least scratches the itch of some of the people who gave it attention in the first place, then maybe that will open some doors. It's just, t- that's the kind of thing that I'm kind of taking one step at a time. 
but on no. the other hand, I mean, I have a sequel that I need to write for it. Um, I'm working on the sequel for uh, Life Engineered. Actually, I'm done writing the sequel for Life Engineered, except for a couple of reworks here and there. And I am working on developing another different property because one of the things that one of the advantages, like the, the only reason God in the Shed got optioned is because some people read Life Engineered. They went, this is nice. We can't do anything with this kind of property because it would be too expensive to produce. What right. else does that guy have? And I had something. If I don't have anything to show, if someone's asking what else does he have, I'm screwed. So I'm trying to always have something that I can say, oh, no, I have, I have this idea or I have that idea. So this is the kind of thing that like, I'm, I'm working back and forth with my publisher where, I mean, probably not supposed to say too much about it, but we are trying to develop like my next quote unquote thing that we can work on together. So, yeah, and this I, is... I find that interesting too, because what I hear from, from certain authors is that if you jump around genre too much, uh, you lose some steps because your readers don't necessarily want to read that other genre. So if you have fans of your sci-fi stuff, they're not necessarily going to be fans of your horror stuff. You also, I know you're working on, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily fantasy related, but I know you're working with Ed Greenwood on some things right now. And mm. that could lead to people who are like, oh yeah, but I'm not interested in fantasy D&D type things. So where's my next horror series from JF? Or where's my next robot series from JF? And it sounds like in your case, that's actually more of a benefit because where sci-fi was going to be a harder sell as far as getting stuff optioned in properties, the fact that you could say, oh, I've got something in a completely different genre and that's going to be much easier to to produce, uh, much more cost-effective to produce, and you know that I can tell good stories already, uh, that, that worked out to your benefit. And that's, that's because I'm in a very narrow window where that can happen. I, I'm I'm not established in a particular genre, so people don't expect anything specific from me quite yet. If God in the Shed becomes huge, I'm going to have a lot of trouble going back into sci-fi for any serious project. Like sci-fi stuff is going to be more of a passion project, while the horror stuff is probably going to be my focus, just because that's the brand that most readers will know me for and want from me. But I'm right now because of how the internet works, where you're not like people are not when you're at my level, people aren't fans of your work. They're fans of you doing that work. And they're very forgiving about you jumping from one genre to another. Like a lot of people, one of the weirdest and most fun comment I've gotten from God in the shed is people that say, I don't usually write, read horror, but I'll read that. And then after they read it, they say, I don't read horror, but I liked this. And that's that's super cool for me because it's it's undeniably a horror book, but that it manages to to appeal to people who aren't usually horror fans is a lot of fun for me. I, I also find it to be, and uh, I, I should mention, I got to read this. Uh, JF was nice enough to supply me with uh, a copy before it was released. Uh, it's It's a very approachable book. Uh, and I'm I'm a horror genre fan, and certainly I've read a good amount of that stuff and, and watched the films and everything, but I found the book something that is very approachable because it's not something that's hardcore in, in a lot of the ways that I would think of what some people in genre try to do, where it's very bloody, very uh, violent. The, the 
the descriptions would be deeper. What you did is you did a lot of the things happen off screen. There's there's se severely stomach turning ideas and stuff that you present, but a lot of them are after the fact. You're not seeing them as they happen. You're seeing the after effects of it and how other people react to it, which I think makes it emotionally more compelling. Um, but it's also as a story, what you did is you seem to focus on character first and foremost, and I like that. Every chapter is named for the character uh, who's giving the point of view in that in that um, chapter, and I thought that that was something that kind of tied me into the people in the town uh, first, as and the story kind of described gets built up around their experiences and parts of it, and I found that to be quite good and i know that um and if you haven't uh listeners should check out jf's recent interview on mind of a geek by our friends nate and brandon and hugo over on in geek studios he's on this week's episode uh i know that you talked a little bit about some of the comparisons people have made that you get compared to king uh and i could certainly <laughs> see parts of that um in, I, in, I, in, I, like, i'm not by me I like to think that I'm somewhere between uh, Barker and King in the sense that alphabetically D is definitely between <laughs> the letter B and K. Uh, otherwise, I don't see like I'm I, I find these parallels to be and as as, as flattering as they are, I think they, they're, they're kind of like the uh, they're too easy to make because, oh, everybody knows Kings. Everybody knows knows Barker. Um I, I don't. I don't think it's. I think it's disingenuous to to put me like in, the, in, the, in that category. It certainly is flattering, though. Well, I, I will say that one of the things that happened after I finished the book, uh, other than calling you up and cursing you out because I know I'm going to have to wait for the sequel unless you can send that to me right now. I don't have something I can jump into right away. Uh, my next stop is hey, going Corey, to be. Yeah, I can't hear you with JF's dick so far down your throat. <laughs> hey, fuck off. Uh, this is this is what I like. I like, I like, I like the man. feeling of his uvula on the. Uh... <laughs> oh, the days when I didn't have a gag reflex. But I am going to say that what I what I look to is one of my, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before. One of my favorite books or or favorite series, although the third one never came out, uh, is the the books of the art by Clive Barker. Yes, the Great and Secret Show and. Immediately after finishing this, I was like, well, now I want to go reread this Great and Secret Show again, because that is what I found this reminded me of. Oh, and those certainly there's a so lot of good. things that change and, and are very different, but still, that was that was the journey that it kind of led me on. And, and it was the, the mixed perspectives, it was the supernatural stuff as being part of it, but still being very grounded in the, the people in the book and everything. And so that's what I loaded up on my Kindle today because I know that that's what I've got to read next to, to fill this sort of hole that I have of like, I want more of this. I'm glad I left holes in your life. <laughs> they make a cream for that. Yep. Oh, no, my dude, I'm, I'm super happy you, you, you liked it. And uh, it, here, here's the thing. Here's the trick for people who are in a hurry of getting the next book. The more the more comments like that I get, the more of a, a fire under my ass I have to actually produce a book. Uh, although a lot of it's kind of out of my hands, but I, I the faster I'm obviously I get the manuscript done, the faster it gets done. So yeah, and and I don't I don't want to rush you for the sake of like you know you got to get that next book out there. That that is again the difference between self publishing and being published, and and certainly Inkshares is being published traditionally and non traditionally at the same time. But 
when you're when you're a self-published author, the way that you build up a following, the way that you keep your business running and everything else is you you've got to keep writing the next book, the next book, the next book. And you just gotta have to kind of hammer stuff out there, which can be both beneficial and detrimental because you either have to write things super fast that maybe are not your best work. Uh, or you write things that maybe are towards the fans as opposed to towards what you want to write. And you have the opportunity because you still have a job and because this still isn't really paying you so much uh, to write the things in the right way uh, to, to make the best story that you can. And, and you're still kind of going with your inspiration a little bit. Well, that's one of the things like I, Tom Merrick put it best when he described the shares as the, the Inkshare model doesn't, it's it is traditional publishing. It's just it replaces the slush pile and and the the, the editors that go through the slush pile with actual readers giving their opinion by pre-ordering. Yeah. And one of the big differences that makes is that there's no there's no marketing team. There's no editor saying we like your ideas, but this is what our readers want you to make. Instead, it's the writer saying. I have this idea and I have this many people that want to see this idea. And this is, this is something that actually sort of comes up during the editing process at Inkshares is one of the things, one of the things I have to always keep in mind is not just protecting sort of my own vision as a snooty high farting artist, but also go also remembering I have a base of pre-orders base of, uh, of readers who have pre-ordered this book and they expect what I promise. If I deviate too much from that because someone's telling me it, it, it'll sell better or someone's telling me that, like, oh, no, like, there are whatever rules, I have, obviously, I have to listen to because I, I also have an obligation to the publisher to make a book that sells well, but I need to balance it out with saying, okay, well, yeah, that's that will help it sell well, but at the same time, my readers expect this. How can we reconcile the two? So it's 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 great because at the end I get to have my artistic vision as clean as I want. I'm still writing what I want to write, but at the same time the readers didn't opt into this blindly. Like they get a synopsis, they get like they're in the process as you're trying to convince them to during the funding campaign. So they know what they're getting into also. So in the end pretty much it it creates a system where everyone's happy. Yeah, and, and and like you said, the part of getting Arc Android published through Inkshares means that the people who read the first book, you get to see if they if they liked it enough to come back for the second book. You know, it's one thing to to sit there and make your pitch and say this is what I'm going to do and this is how it's going to turn out and everything, and everyone goes, yeah, I want to support that, I, I want to read that book. But once they've read that book, do they return? And and while I expect that that's very much going to be the case. It, it's, it's a good kind of test of like, was this the right move or not? And when you're self-publishing, you don't know until you've written the thing and it's out there and you see whether or not it sells. Uh, you get a little bit of advantage of, well, you'll find out if it sells ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I'm, and I'm super eager to try this with, with Arc Android. I'm going to announce this at the end, uh, uh, release the campaign officially at the end of the month and uh, keep my fingers crossed that it's, Funds fast because it's a stressful process. Is Matt still here? Oh no, I'm totally still here. I just <laughs> I fell asleep. 
Yeah, Matt didn't get the opportunity to read the book because he was uh, moving at the time, and also because Matt doesn't read. And I don't I have no to read real good words and things. I will have an audiobook out produced by Audible, but Audible is um, they're dragging their feet a bit, so we're not having the simultaneous release that we're hoping for. But it, it it's it's going to happen. It'll happen. I'll, I'll, I'll let... read it. I'm. I didn't read The Life Engineered, but we all know I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, so that's a little bit more of a stretch. This seems a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Which which is exactly why I wrote it. I went, man, I need something from Matt. <laughs> yeah, that, you should have put Arnold Schwarzenegger on the cover because then it would have been, he, he could have just creamed all over that for the next three months. Nipples. We need nipples. Mm. Got it. 87% more nipples than I'm in. I'll, uh, unfortunately, there's not... It's for, for a horror book, there's not much sex. So sorry. No, no, no. I didn't say sex. Just nipples. Oh, okay. In the shed. The guy takes his shirt off. That's that's 100% nipple. So we need 87% more. So that's, you know, a one full nipple and roughly two-thirds of another nipple. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, you got to talk about Sinister. I guess that's the next thing we got to do here. I don't know. It's your show, man. You tell me. You picked the movie. I, don't I did. What's happening. Corey, what's happening? Uh, we're going to talk about Sinister, the 2012 flick starring Ethan Hawke, uh, which, because it contains a character named Mr. Boogie, I had assumed that it was the third in the Mr. Boogity tr- uh, trilogy that we did from Disney a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the, the, the Bride of Boogity being number two, uh, Sinister being number three, Boogity takes a steep, steep turn. Boogity <laughs> gets into heroin, I think is what happens here. No. Maybe <laughs> becomes a Swedish death metal singer. There's nothing wrong with that. You got the corpse paint and everything. Uh, I I did notice that it was the the Mr. Boogie makeup was based around uh, death metal bands. That doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Now, JF, I know you have not seen Sinister Two. Corey, have you? I have not. No, I almost watched it because I saw it was on cable last night. Uh, and, and I know what you've said over and over again, do not. Mm-hmm. And I know that uh, pretty much every reviewer agrees with you. Yep. Is that the, the, prob- is the problem terrible. here. So Sinister's, Sinister 1 is very good. I love this movie. And I was super happy that JF picked this. Uh, Sinister 2 focuses on the children, which... Eh. I mean, it doesn't really do anything for me. If you've seen the first one, you, you kind of understand what the kid's role is in the film. So to give them their own movie, just, I don't know. We turned it off like a half an hour in. I said, bye, Felicia. <laughs> I'm probably going to eventually watch it anyways. Yeah, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, wind I, up watching I, it too. I'm not saying, I, I'll never say don't watch a movie. I will simply say... Like, that wait, you hate kids. Until you... <laughs> I hate children. I, I will say, literally, like, wait until you literally have nothing better to do. That will... Mm, mm, so, that will never happen because I'm super busy all the time. But at the same time, I really want to see it just because I'm a fan of, of Robert Cargill, the screenwriter. So I want I want to see what he came up with for, for the sequel. Yeah, and the, the two guys who do this, we, we should mention, they most recently, they both worked on or, or basically made the Doctor Strange movie, uh, which was kind of a, a huge get. No, it was. I thought it was quite good, but it's it's kind of nice to see that again people who were starting out and had were kind of coming out of nowhere and making their own stuff. They go and they get an IP that 
it's like, yeah, come work on our thing now. And they did something that I thought was, while typical Marvel superheroes in a lot of ways did a lot of new things in the, the Marvel superhero movie universe, and that was good to see. But JF, I want to hear why you chose this movie. Um, I chose this movie because I'm a fan of Robert Cargyle, and I it's it's a movie I had not seen. Uh, I may have lied to a few people saying I had seen it just to not to look like an idiot who had not seen it, but I had not. Um, here here's a little secret. Like I am generally speaking, as far as movies concerned, um, I'm not a huge fan because I'm a giant pussy. Um, I don't like jump scares at all. I don't mind. And this is, this is one of the things that kind of made this movie a, a lot cooler is that I, I knew going on it wouldn't necessarily be jump scares. It's, I, like, I like movies that are scary because of the atmosphere, that are interestingly made for to be scary. Um, movies that it's just like, oh, there's a loud noise and then there's a severed head. Ooh, terrifying. Like, I hate those because they're dumb and they scare me and then I feel dumb for being scared by the dumb thing. So they, there's there's it's, there's no winning with that for me. So this, I, I think this movie. I was very happy I did. They had a few jump scares, but not without reason. Dude, yeah, there's a few jump scares, but I, I always expect jump scares in a horror movie. But it doesn't depend on it. Like there's a creepiness that goes beyond that. The way they use sound in that movie, I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's every time, every time you go, like, there's a distinct difference between when you're in the quote unquote rational world and when you're into uh, Ellison Oswald, like the main character's sort of insanity world, where, like, when he's drinking and watching the home movies and you can see that, like, it's eating at his soul, they do something with the sound by just tweaking it a little and adding all these little noises in the bag that are just unnerving that makes you that really makes it clear that you're not in the same place but when you go in they sort of fade it in kind of slowly so you don't notice and when they stop when you get out of that world it's just it's it's like a smash cut with the sound that just really pulls you out and you realize oh shit no we were in that thing so it, it feels like you're falling asleep in a dream and then waking up i, I absolutely love that it was um I, re- I really agree with what you said because there was a lot of times in which he was watching the home videos and the sound would change or the music would change and you kind of like don't even realize it's happening. But without the music being there, it wouldn't be as um, impactful. Right. And I, exactly. I, I did really, really like that about the movie. Because um, if, there, if there was no music or the music wasn't the way it was, like you just wouldn't feel... Like for me... As a person watching uh, watching my TV and seeing someone on my TV watching home videos of someone get murdered, like there's no feeling there. But the cuts of Ethan Hawke like watching and just seeing him visibly upset and shaken with the music is really what made it. That's what that's what made me feel. That yep, no, absolutely. Now, I know both of you guys are fans of uh, the true horror genre, the uh, real-life crime stuff. Uh, Matt and I have talked about it a little bit. Uh, if we had thought it through, we would have probably done that as a genre of our podcast. We were and, smart. and fucking rich as shit right now. Yeah. But uh, still, uh, so 
Uh, let me interject you real quick. Jeff, have you ever listened to the Sword and Scale podcast? Uh, every single episode. That motherfucker gets over $20,000 a month from Patreon. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even get chicken feed for doing this. <laughs> Uh, by the way, you can go to patreon.com slash network and support our podcast network. Just little as a dollar a month. That's a, that's a real thing. It's not going to pay us. No. Here's the, here's the trick. Here's what you need to do. You need to, you need to do a podcast, shift the focus from horror to true crime, and just put some background music that's creepy and read the Wikipedia page of of every uh, serial killer. And if you can once in a while have an interview with someone that's like tangentially connected to the crimes, you're in, you'll be, you'll be raking in the cash. In fact, if you're already an established comedian and you talk about true crime, you're already also in. I was, yeah, I would totally get Henry Zabrowski on here if I could. I am a huge fan of your pretty faces going to hell. Here's a question for Corey. Matt, you're on you're benched again. So I was having this discussion. The character of Randy McKenzie in Gun Shed, played by Henry Zabrowski. What do you think? I don't know who that is. Oh, never mind. So maybe that is more a question for Matt, but he hasn't read the book. So Sorry, whatever. you didn't send it to me, and I really didn't have time to read it. I offered, and you said you didn't have time. I, I really would not have had time, but I, I'll wait for my copy, and then we'll we'll circle back. Perfect. I've so let's talk about seen Henry Zabrowski and your pretty face is going to hell though. So, oh really? Oh, you can you can Google his face. I mean, I, same, no, no, no. I, I, I certainly he's a he's a very he's a very uh, recognizable face. I just haven't seen him do anything other than what he does on that show. He was on Heroes Reborn, the the classic, uh, definitely Emmy nominated, I'm sure, or something. Is Heroes Reborn a reboot of Heroes? Oh, he was on the Wolf of Wall Street. Holy shit. Kind. He was in Dirty Grandpa. I didn't know that. And I've seen that movie more than once. So maybe okay, which character would he play? I'm looking. IMDb uh, very slow. Character, the character of uh, Dr. Randy McKenzie. Yeah. Medical examiner. I can totally see that. Because the way that you describe... Yeah, the way you describe the character, he's not, you know, one of those, like, super fit... People, the way he kind of lusts after the, not lusts, the lust, but has the attraction for the other <laughs> doctor that's working with him and stuff. I could, I could absolutely see that. No, I just, I'm, I was just, I'm just toying with ideas in my brain. No, that's a, that's a good pull. I like that. Uh, so, and, and, and what I was going to say in relation to true horror podcasts and everything is that there are a ton of them out there, and I think that there is a like anything. The the cream rises at the top. We had our our friend Erica on a couple weeks ago, and what she does with her show, I don't think we'd be capable of doing that type of show. I don't have the attention span to like investigate. Yeah, so when I see someone like her with success, I don't I don't blame the success on the fact that she picked the right genre. I I focus that she. Does she's got success because she's really that good, right? Uh, Corey, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. Is you can listen to any two assholes on the internet talking about horror movies. People, that's are, what we keep banking on. <laughs> our friends and, and fans of the show come back because of how you and I interact with each other, and that's the same thing with true crime. Is like I I listen to Apex and the Abyss, which is Erica's show, because I enjoy listening to Erica speak. I listen to Case File because of the Australian fella, I enjoy listening to him speak. Um. 
sort and scale, I, the, the more I listen to it, the, the less and less I like the guy. But I do enjoy the stories. And yeah, and, and, I, and I, I, like, I like how raw he is about things. There, I don't there's... like how like overly dramatic he is for no fucking reason. No, but I like how he doesn't shy away from giving us a twenty-minute nine-one-one uh, call about like a kid getting murdered. Exactly, and that's what it's, I do like the, about it. And not like as in, oh boy, can we have more kids getting murdered? But more in the sense that this, this is this is raw footage. This is the reality of it. Exactly. Yep. And as someone who's trying to write and create horror stories, being able to see real horror and know how to. How, how it feels and how it sounds so that when I write something similar, it doesn't sound like a pastiche or a parody mm-hmm. is very important. Doesn't do well much for my sleeping patterns, but okay. See, I don't have problems with it. There was the one episode. With the, uh, I, and, and sometimes I really worry about like my mental state because a lot of that shit doesn't bother me. Um, there was the one episode about uh, the, the guy who wanted to eat a, uh, eat a child. I'm sure it, it was the one that was read like 80, like 80 to 90% of it was just like ta- uh, type uh, text to, to speak. Oh, you know, it was, yeah, it was the guy who wanted to, but with, like there's no proof he actually yep, went yep, yep. through with it. Like that one. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. Easy just because of like <laughs> the monotonous tone of, of the text to speak voice talking about like, oh, I, what is it? I wanted to eat her pussy and it looked so good. I was just like, oh. But um, yeah. Other than that, that's I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just really good at like differentiating from like real life and things that affect me. It's totally real, but it, I I don't know. Well, the, one of the things that kind of and I I don't I don't know if helping is really what we want from that kind of thing. But one of the things that does help is when you're the kind of person who's and I I have a feeling that you guys are probably the same boat as I am for that kind of stuff. But when you realize that right this minute as we're having this conversation, someone somewhere on the planet is having a horrible death. Yep. And in two minutes, there will be another. That's just, it's just a number. It's open. Yeah. We're, we're at, (laughs) we're at seven to 8 billion people. Like statistically terrible, horrible monster shit is happening all the time. Mm -hmm. So once you kind of have that always as the background music in the back of your head, to cherry pick and say, oh, no, this one thing that I heard about is more horrible than all the other things I haven't feels like bullshit. So you need to sort of like you, you, you get this kind of acceptance that, yeah, I just read about this child being murdered after being kidnapped and raped. And I acknowledge that it's horrible, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it, because if I lose sleep over that one, I have to lose sleep over all the other ones. Otherwise, I'm a hypocrite. And once you have that mind state, that's when you come to accept, yes, I will listen to the horrible story. If only like as a responsibility towards all the other stories you can't hear about. Am I making sense? No, you totally. And that's, don't taste this chicken. Um, that's, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Because, A, it's never been presented to me in that way. You know what I mean? Like by not listening to everyone's f- terrible story, you're not, man. I don't know how to. I get what you're saying. I'm trying to now like quantify it into words. Yeah, you, you have to. The human brain has to have a level of being able to 
detach because otherwise we can never function. There, there's too much stress. It, it's I, I feel like people who have uh, PTSD uh, probably what what happens is they lose some of that ability to detach uh, because they've just been overwhelmed to the point where where you can't let something go at that point, and that's why things become so difficult for them. If, if I thought about every bad thing that happened just in the general area around me in a day, and there could be a day where there are no car accidents, that there are no people. Uh, getting murdered or whatever, but there's still so much pain and anguish that goes on. I would, I would never, I would not be able to function. I would just be fetal position the entire fucking life that I am on this fucking planet. So I have to be able to say, yes, I'm watching the news and there's something horrible going on. And I, I feel an empathy for that. But at the same time, I can't let it rule my entire being in the way that it deserves to. Um, because, the next fucking horrible thing is going to happen and the next fucking horrible thing is going to happen or they're going to all happen at the same time and I will just become so overwhelmed that I don't get to be my own life anymore. I don't I don't get to do anything. Um, it sucks and it's not to take away the importance of any one thing, but we're all also kind of dealing with our own shit. Yeah, exactly. And, and that that's why listening to horrible stuff at some point, it's not desensitization. I feel it's more of a rationalization of the sentiments that you do have. Now, the, the difference is that there's the level of people who crave those stories. And that's where a lot of people who uh, do these shows come in. Uh, so you, you have someone who's like, I'm a fan of this genre and I want to make these shows because I'm kind of obsessed with it and everything. And what people are weirded out by is that they don't understand how you can be a fan of something so horrible. Uh but it's it's like anything else. A fascination with something doesn't mean that you're condoning it as much as you just want to understand it. Sometimes it's it's personal. You need to understand it. Sometimes it's because you're dealing with your own shit, and this is a way that you step outside of that by dealing with something that feels not necessarily fictitious, but because it's not happening to you and people you know directly, it's sort of made to be okay, and you can explore it in ways that you can't explore things that are close to you. Um, I, I, it's it's hard to say the whys of the reasonings, but like anything else, we just we go with what we're we're into, and we just have to kind of do no harm at the same time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good way of explaining it. How did we it's probably to, why these things are so popular? How did we get to this point? Because we're watching a movie where the lead character is a true crime writer, which I thought was part of the reason of, of why it was chosen. No, and, actually, this is one yeah. of the things this is actually one of the things I don't like about it. Because I find it is and with all due respect to to, to, to Robert Cargyle, who I think is awesome, and I hope he's on uh, on my other show 40k radio again at some point because that was a great episode that we when we had him on. Anyways, but with all due respect, I find that writers writing about a main character who is a writer is super lazy, and I don't like it. So uh, Stephen so King has is just a complete fucking asshole. Not an Ooh. asshole, but <laughs> no, it it is like if you're asking me what is the biggest weakness that Stephen King has, and my answer will be he only writes about freaking writers. He does. As in only, only things only ever happen to people who write books. And I know you're supposed to write what you know, um, but I'm pretty sure he's had other jobs, or he knows other people with other jobs, or he can interview other people with other jobs. 
And I feel that it would, because here's the thing, not everyone's a freaking writer. So it's not necessarily automatically relatable. And also once in a while, it's cute. But when it's always that, especially in the horror genre, it gets tedious. He could have been so many other things. Like he could have just been a guy who moved into a house. He didn't need to be a writer. Yeah, it, it. I get why it works in the context of the story because the reasoning of moving to the house and and why he is so obsessed with it and why he won't let it go, it works in relationship to him being a writer. It works in relationship to him being someone who had a hit and is trying to get that again. And so he's allowing himself to go deeper and deeper down this hole that maybe he wouldn't if it wasn't for the fact that he was so desperate to get that next novel out and seeing it as being his way out of a, of a, like, I was successful once and I haven't been successful in a while. What do I need to do to get that back? Um, no, but, saying, I, but I Car- understand Car- what Car- you mean. Cargill did a good job of using that trope. I'm, it's just not a trope I'm happy with. So, and again, like the rest of the movie, I think is, it's even better than I thought it would be. Like I expected it to be good and it turned out to be great, which is awesome. It's just, as I say, the idea that the, the what attracted me to it is, uh, is that particular fact is it's completely, it's completely the opposite. Like that is the one weakness I find in the film. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I can think of is if he wasn't a writer and he wasn't writing about the specific thing that happened in that house, had he found the box of tapes, he simply may have just watched it and been like, ooh, that's fucked up, called the cops, the movie's over. They handed it off, right. But because he was a writer and he wanted to dig so deep into that story, he kept watching the tapes and he studied the tapes and then it became an obsession and then he wanted to figure out, you know, and that's how Mr. Mr. Moogie came out and and... But we do also know that in the story, we see that other families that have gone through this and they all kind of go through the same sort of thing. I, I can't assume that every one of those other people is also writers. So what led them down that path and and what would those stories be like? But it, it certainly is. I mean, it's it's the whole reason for being from the very beginning to the very end is it's, you know, my book is more important than the comfort and safety of my family. Uh, my book is more important than, you know, watching these horrible, distasteful things. And I should probably be sharing with this with the cops to find a resolve for this. Uh, but I'm going to do it for myself first. So he's he's not portrayed as a very good person in this. And I appreciate that, too, is like, yeah, you're a writer and you write the main character as a writer. But you made the main character a real dick. Uh, so good on you for that. Uh, it's just, but I, I do see in the story how it makes sense. And because the story came to him from a dream from watching uh, the, uh, oh, the ring, I think it was. He saw the ring and he had a dream about seeing a video where a family was hung. So him being a writer and, and having that dream, it kind of makes sense that that is his jumping off point. I, if it was that that was all of his things that he does going forward, then yeah, I would be a little bit more upset by it. But in the context of the movie itself, it didn't bother me. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm not upset about it. It's just that I, when when the characters announced that, oh, he he's a writer, I went, eh, of course he is. Right. <laughs> so you didn't know that going in. Let's move on. No, I didn't know that going in. Like I, it's I, I intentionally avoided reading like the uh, all all the uh, the Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. And again, 
not upset. It's just like you go you go through this thing like, ah, I guess he had to be if that's a horror movie and it's a, the main character is a dude. It has to be a dude who's a writer. So, but like it's 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 not like I went to my scorecard and said, "Well, minus one for you, sinister." Like, <laughs> it's it, it's just that it was so in line with everything else from King and from so many other sources that I, I went. It, it it didn't feel the character didn't feel special from the onset. Like he had to he had to earn it again later. Yeah, and being a dick certainly helped. And he 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 was. Yeah, he's a huge dick. And yet, you still don't necessarily feel super thrilled at the end. No. Okay, or, or, how, how do we feel about spoilers here? Oh, no, oh we, we spoil... Right. Yeah, we, we spoil everything. Yeah. Still not happy about his death at the end. You still feel like, oh, that's that's a bit much. Like, he, he repented. Why? Yeah. But I, that, I, my, my, my in, in his I, regard... Oh, go ahead, Matt. I'm no, sorry. I was, I was just real short and just, my least favorite thing about the ending is the jump scare at the end. That's all I got. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that felt. That feels like someone told. Oh, we need to have that yep. in there. It's it's very unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say the the thing with with the ending with him was that he he did repent, but the whole thing happened because he had started down that path in the first place you know and he, he wasn't honest with his wife about why they were moving to this house in particular uh he wasn't honest with his family about the the things that were going on as it happened and so yeah you you feel bad afterwards but the whole thing was cause and effect because he decided this is something that he wanted to do or needed to do above all of his family's needs and his family's all like we didn't want to move we don't want to be here you know and, and especially in this house that is causing his son to have uh, more and more recurring night terrors and uh, his family is is being looked at as, as sort of pariahs in this town. He's getting abuse from the cops. Not even abuse, but just kind of like distrust and, and a little bit of resentment from the cops in the town as, as soon as he shows up. And it's like, hey, you know, as much as I don't like you as a writer uh, because you've said some bad things about the cops and stuff before, I really think it's kind of gross that you've moved into this house where this family died. Um, <laughs> it's true. You know, so it's not just that you're you're an asshole in my eyes, but it's obvious that you're actually literally an asshole. Yeah, I guess I never really looked at it from that way. I didn't really care. But he's totally an asshole. He is totally an asshole, but at the same time, he he wrote a very successful book at one point, so there are people who are willing to overlook that. The deputy so-and-so who winds up working with him to be kind of become his guy behind the scenes that hoping he's going to get uh, a write up in the book and, and be thanked in the acknowledgements and stuff is like, yeah, I know you're kind of going down this really fucked up path. And I know that there's shit you're not telling me. Uh, so I'm going to help you out still, but you know, you, what are you fucking doing? <laughs> and, and I wouldn't do this. There, there, there's a lot of cool things like if I, I'm, I'm just saying a bit if you will but there's a, a lot of cool things about how they like because you mentioned uh, officer deputy so and so the way they present you with a, a long laundry list of possible suspects because the, the, the movie isn't like presented as a supernatural thing from the beginning and there's certain scenes when, when you have deputy so and so and you go 
he's 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 the killer, right? I mean, he's he's just wedging himself into this situation, not talking to the rest of the police department. Like, is he's the one, right? And then once you get like the the, the background from Vincent D'Onofrio's character about having like taking control of one of the one of the children then you have this kid who's got these night terrors and winding up outside it's like uh, he, he, he's the kid who's gonna murder right he's he's the one right <laughs> and then, then you've got the father who's clearly slightly going insane so before you know that it's about the children then you go uh, yeah he's, he's the guy who's gonna kill his family that's that's, that's typical right it's yeah it's i love to what was amityville where the father becomes crazy because of all the stuff going on in the house and then winds up, or, or The Shining as well, where, it, yeah, it, it's going to lead him down this path and he's going to become crazy and he's going to fulfill the prophecy of, of all these things. Yeah, and it, I, I, that's, that's what I really loved about the, there, there's a layering in the writing that I found very interesting where you're not, you don't feel like you're being tricked into believing certain characters are going to be the villain, but you're given so many options to choose from that you can sort of, you can build your own narrative until the the final reveal. And when the final reveal is given, you don't feel like you've been lied to either. It's like, oh no, okay, that makes sense too. Let's go, let's go with that. I'm 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 happy with this result also. But you've been you you've been given the option to play around with the other options as you're going down the story, and I thought that was super cool. Now, do you feel that the final reveal, though, uh, such as it's presented, because so so part of the movie, uh, we should explain this for anybody who hasn't watched it, uh, although you, you should we'll have the affiliate link in our, our show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the conceit of the movie is he moves into the house where this family was killed and their, their youngest daughter wasn't found. Uh, so it was presumed missing or presumed killed somewhere else, and and just they never found the body. But the whole family was hung in their backyard, and he moves in. He finds a box of films in the attic of the house, and they all seem like they're family movies, and they're all labeled as such as being family movies. They're they're labeled in very innocent ways, uh, but they all show different families being murdered going along. And so you see someone walking around with a Super 8 camera filming the family is doing regular stuff first and then you see it switch to the point where they're tied up in some way or they're they're drugged or whatever and then they're being murdered either being drowned or at one point run over with a lawnmower uh that one was pretty disturbing uh and so the it, it finishes off with him deciding to move his family back to their old house but he goes and he burns all of the, the Super 8 movies and stuff. He gets rid of all of these things. He's just like, I need to, to expunge all of this, and we're going to leave. But then he goes back to his old house. Suddenly, all of those movies are in his old house, and he gets to start watching them again and seeing the extended cuts, essentially. And I just found that that part, the supernatural thing relying on this like, here's a projector, and here's these movies that you have to watch, and now you get the whole story was a little bit it's it's like relying on the videotape in the ring in a way it's it's putting in a real world thing to show you as an audience member the answers to what's going on behind the film which is sort of ridiculous in the context of if it's actually like if i'm supposed to buy into this as a real story does any of this really make sense that a ghost god thing uh that was worshipped years ago in babylonia would then have people filming themselves 
uh, killing their families to leave for the next person down the line. Like, what what was Mr. Boogie's thing of like, well, what I really want to do is direct. Well, the, the thing is, it's it's kind of hinted at, uh, again, through Vincent D'Onofrio's character, or what was it, Professor or something, um, that he's... The, 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 this used to be done through illustrations. Like this, this goes as far back as cave writings, where I presumably people would see these writings, and that's how, like, that's the medium through which that story was told. And these children were were, were abducted and, and and their families killed. So, like, I can imagine a family of cavemen. They move into a new cave, and there's all these engravings. Like, oh, what did Gog and and, and well, why did they write that there? Look, it looks like they, there's uh, people killing families in this cave. <laughs> that's that's bad. We should leave and whack. They're dead. I I'm like the, the it's hinted that the whole point is that this this isn't just about movies. This is something that's happened before with other mediums. Now, I did find the the fact that you know it it, it had to be so spelled out at the end that oh, it's the kids because. By the end, like you figured, like we've already been told it's the kids in, in a way. Yeah. Like it's already been hinted sufficiently. You don't need to have that preview. Like we could have easily had just a scene where he finds the like he he's he's enjoying his coffee and like he his daughter gives him his coffee, he's enjoying his coffee, walks into his new office his old office to unpack and there on his desk not even you don't even need to have in the freaking cellar just on his desk is the box and he opens it and as he sees like oh like i it's following me or maybe he does get that call from officer so and so to 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 highlight and spell that one out but then like he notices that the the coffee's drugged him he falls on the floor and then you have the reveal of him opening his eyes to his daughter holding an axe that to me and probably to you guys would have been sufficient and maybe even more effective. Maybe not for the average audience, and perhaps that might have been a studio thing. Maybe it's a director thing. Maybe it's maybe it's did the screenwriter himself who decided, eh, I need to spell it out just to be clear because audiences sometimes don't get these kind of things. But I, I can see why perhaps afraid that the 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 punchline would have been lost on certain people. They they felt like they needed that extra that extra explanation. It certainly telegraphs it to the audience, but I I I do understand that it's something that maybe needs to be telegraphed to the audience. And on top of it, the whole movie, most not all, but a lot of the ambiance and the the eeriness of the film comes from watching those Super 8 tapes, comes from the feeling of the change of watching everything that's being filmed like a regular movie, and then within that, seeing that old-style recording and these horrific scenes that are playing out on the on the movies, the home movies and stuff. So it, it gives it that extra texture. Um, and to have it be throughout the whole thing and not tied together with that at the end would probably be a mistake. It's good storytelling, but it's bad story. Uh, it, it's it's just one of those things where we're letting this happen because we know that the movie is going to have to look this way uh, to to make the audience get it and enjoy it. Even though if you if you try to put it into real world context, and, and maybe that's part of it too, is you have to suspend disbelief. Uh, it makes no sense. It makes no sense that you, like, hey, you watch all these movies, but now if you watch them real close, you're going to get this extra scene that's going to have everybody going Shh, at the at the screen and everything, and it's just like it's a payoff strictly for the audience uh, in the theater, not for 
him up on in the actual story. Exactly. It's it's very much for the people who were watching that, watching the movie, but not paying quite as much attention as they should have. Meanwhile, I was completely focused on it, so I had I I felt like it was not I like I wasn't like offended by it. I was just you know I I felt like it was unnecessary, and I felt that it would have been a much more punch to the gut to have him wake up to see his daughter about to kill him with an axe. Yeah. Like, to me, that would have been enough, but. Yeah, yeah, again, it's sometimes people are just chit-chatting and eating popcorn instead of, uh, of listening. And it's a weird thing for me to hone in on because normally I would have no problem with it. It's just I kind of picked it out in this time. And there's so many other examples, I think, where we could say the same thing. But realistically, it, it makes for, I think, a very good finish to the movie uh, for what needs to be done in a film. Yeah, and I, I was I was very satisfied. Like the the movie scratched all the itches I wanted to scratch, and it delivered on all the promises. Like nothing nothing is out of nowhere. Like the 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 fact that the kid learns how to make her father's coffee is so subtle. Like you don't yeah. like you don't see it as the check of Chekhov's gun that ends up being. It's a lot of it's beautifully laid out. And and I kind of picked up on a little bit i think i caught it in at least one of the the movies is the green liquid that she used to drug him i think i saw some of that in some of the other films uh and i was trying to see if i recognize that even more and if i go back and rewatch it a third time uh i might see more of that because it seemed like at that point when we get an understanding that in all of these they, they must have been drugged by somebody for the kids to get to overpower them uh, and, and then he, he kind of speaks of this a little bit, too, is that you realize that the families are all laid out in such a way that anybody could have done the killing. So it could have been a woman. It could have been a child um, as he, he realizes what's happened. But it, it takes a while to get there. So I wonder if maybe that's something I missed of what she used to drug him. What did she use? You know, where did that come from? And did they telegraph that to us earlier? And it's one of those things that you only get if you if you go back looking for it. That's interesting. I might I might need to see it again. I, I rented the movie, so I, I've got forty eight hours to check it out again. So maybe I'll do that tomorrow evening. Hmm. Yes, shallow and pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I, I got nothing. You guys are doing a very good job of describing the movie. Although the coffee thing didn't even register with me until you just pointed it out. Well, that that's how good it is, mm-hmm. and I, I bet like from a subconscious point of view, you still it helps you accept it at the end as something that makes sense. Oh like, yeah. You didn't see, yeah, 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 like, yeah, it didn't seem out of out of out of whack that he like oh he got coffee from from his daughter because subconsciously it was already implanted in your brain that that is something that she would do. I, either that or I'm just dumb. Well, I mean, like, I appreciate you thinking that I'm smarter than I really am, but I think it's just I, that I'm I, dumb. You well, am I wrong in thinking that when he picked up the coffee or when he finished it up, he noticed the note underneath that said "Night, Night, Daddy"? Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, and and the note is there from the beginning, like it's under the coffee cup from the first time he you see him drink from it. So it's not it it, it doesn't feel very artificial either. It's just when he finishes it and realizes that it is drugged, then he picks up the note again and says "Good night, Dad." I wish yeah. you would have said Which, "Night, night, keep your butthole tight." Um, that would have been weird from a child, but eh, whatever. <laughs> Maybe not from this child. Uh, and the other part is that after they're dead, we see that she's done 
paintings along the walls, including the the symbol for uh, for Bagul. But in the paintings, there are things like unicorns and cat faces and stuff. So after this case, I have to assume that they're going to have an understanding that the child had something to do with it if those paintings are there. So it seems like this this story breaks things wide open for the next time that it happens. They should have something. But do the films stick around or do the films all go away too? Do they get hidden again and no one else sees it? He wound up deleting them off of his laptop so none of those things get picked up. But he has spoken to Professor Jonas. Uh, he's spoken to the deputy who I guess is one of the main characters in the sequel. Uh, so they should get more of what happened from this uh and but in all the other cases we don't see anything other than that symbol we don't see that the people have, have painted things or left a lot of details and that's why no one suspected the kids as being a part of it before but this seems like okay now i see there's a lot of blood this is childlike drawings uh i know that the daughter was an artist because we've seen some of her art in her room from the last place they should be able to piece some of that together now it doesn't necessarily mean that she's the one who's done it, though. True. It just means that you've got, like, something happened involving the child, but then again, the child disappears, so that's not new information. Now, it does give it a much weirder feel that somehow her family gets killed, and before her kidnapper takes her away, he has her or she herself decides to draw with their blood on the walls that is that gives it an extra creepy but it doesn't necessarily solve the case either yeah no but i I feel like it gives it that kind of element of the child was possessed Mm -hmm. and that's i think that's all it does it doesn't really give it there's no explanation which drives me fucking nuts but it like very lazily explains why the kid did this. They're they're fucking possessed. And then they kill their parents. End of story. Which I think is dumb. Very dumb. Well, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you're it, it's supposed to be supernatural and mystical. You don't want to explain too much of it from the get-go. Like, from a commercial standpoint, so you can have a sequel from a storytelling standpoint because you don't, like, you don't necessarily want to give away the entire world building either. Yeah, but is all I gotta say. <laughs> now it it's I, we're definitely picking nits here. We're 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 trying to go as far as we can into the things that that maybe don't work story wise, but still in in most ways this film works. It's it's a very solid movie, uh, especially from who is still a pretty new director, I think, at the time that this came out. He'd done some other stuff. He did The Exorcist of Emily Rose. Uh, did Hellraiser Inferno. I didn't realize that. Uh, Piece of shit. Yeah, but it's in line with the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> like, where they went in all the sequels. There's there some good things in the Hellraiser movies, but admittedly, as a whole, it is terrible. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those things that started out much better and then because they franchised it, it just allowed itself to become worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. I still really like this movie, regardless of the nitpicking that we did. I, st- I think it's a good, 
good movie. It's what is it called? Twenty twelve. So the past five years, it's definitely one of the better movies that I've seen that has been released in the past five years. Yeah, my wife. I told my wife of the the two movies that we're doing uh, next week. We're doing uh, Hostel, and she seemed more willing to watch Hostel with me than she was to watch this one, which I thought was weird because I. Uh, I I don't think it's any secret have made a lot of noise that Hostel is one of my least favorite uh, of the the genre films, mm-hmm. uh, and and this one I thought was altogether a much better story and better directed and better acted than that one. But she just maybe it's because of the theme or something or or the way that it ends with the kids. I don't know, but she was not as interested in in <laughs> dealing with this one with me. Host- yeah. is, is, aren't a hostels movie just torture porn anyways like not That's... really horror so much as just hostel and Sar are looked at as being the torture born uh surgeons in in films and whereas i think saw has more story to it and and more of a of a kind of like underlying mythology to it which Certainly, again, probably went downhill as they got further and further in the movies. Uh, Hostile to me was just like, we're just going to do this to show gross stuff on screen uh, and to make you squirm and uncomfortable. And that's why I'm not a a fan. But this is going to be my second time seeing it and the first time since it essentially came out. So I'll have to see how I feel about it now versus the memories that I have of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess my next question is, do, do we want to get to rating it, or does anyone else you guys have any more points you want to make on it? Uh, no. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could continue dissecting it for like an hour, but yeah. that's, that's, that's going to get boring for everybody but me in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. It probably already has for you, Matt. Not, no, no. Not <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. No. <laughs> Shallow and pedantic. Corey, how about you? Uh, no, I'm I'm good. Other than to say, uh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke keeps taking risks on movies, and I appreciate that about him. Even though I don't like all of his stuff, he's not afraid to do films that are not huge blockbusters. Uh, considering where he's been at in his life as an actor and the amount of work that he's done, he will do things that are not safe. And I think, as a as an actor, I appreciate that about him. Awesome. Well, with that. Let's get to the top game. All right, so JF, it's been a it's been a hot minute since you've been here. <laughs> we you guys have changed things. We have revamped our our uh, our our scale our scale of scoriness. Uh, now we talk about masturbating preferences. Um, we do it on a three tiered masturbatorial scale. <laughs> Wonderful. Zero, zero to five uh, in each category. The first category being the feature. The, the the feature is going to be the story. How was the story? Was it interesting? Was it original? How was the acting? How did you like it, uh, JF? As our guest, you do get to go first. Um, I, I give that a five. Like the, the the story and the acting, everything was was convincing to me. Um, like if I could give it maybe like a four point nine, I go for for that because it's always hard to give a, a perfect score. There's always like a little something that you can dissect through it. Mm-hmm. Like like I mentioned, there there's certain things towards the 
towards the end that and the, the idea of just having a writer as a main character were sticking points, but they weren't sufficiently bad sticking points that they ruined the story in any way, shape, or form. So I'll give that a five. Yeah, good deal. Corey, how about you? Uh, I will give it a four. I, I think that it was very good. There were certainly some things, while not necessarily jump scares, were a little bit beholden to things that we've seen in a lot of movies like this. But I think where it brought a lot of, if not originality, a lot of ambiance and, and mood was in how it utilized the, the snuff film aspect and uh, Hawk's reaction to those things as he watched them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also gave it a four. Um, kind of more towards JF's point of like, it's a really great movie, but I could find things that were wrong with it. Um, so yeah, I gave it a four. I don't really want to give it more of an explanation because I'm drunk. So uh, the A in our masturbatorial scale is the attention. Uh, would you prefer to rewatch this? How does it... Uh, would you Would you buy it? Would you recommend it to friends? I probably wouldn't buy it, but you got to understand I own no movies, so that's not really a good scale. Um, <laughs> would Sorry. I would I watch it? Uh, actually, I would I would definitely rewatch it just because knowing already knowing that I did catch a few interesting teas and details and hints here and there during the during the entire movie. And the the fact here's one of the things that I immediately thought when I saw the main character sort of pick out details of the films he was watching immediately made me curious are there hints and details in the movie i'm watching that i could pick out if i paid more attention so i'm, I'm very curious like i, I want to go like on a sort of a spoilers list and see if there's any uh, any easter eggs and things like that that i could spot in a, in a rewatch and so definitely definitely want to rewatch it absolutely would recommend it to friends um so i'd give it a four Corey. Yeah, and it, it, as a throwback as to the conversation we were having earlier, that feels more like what M. Night uh, Shyamalan was known for is is not being in a horror genre or anything, but for the here are all these hints along the way that are going to tell you about the twist at the end, and when you rewatch it, can you pick those things up and, and see what I was doing? Uh, and, and so you're right, from, from that perspective, that's why I would say it's worth a rewatch after you've made it through the first time and you get the idea of like, oh shit, that's what this is about. Uh, going back in again and seeing how well they laid the groundwork to make you realize that, or could you have realized it earlier if you've been paying a little bit more attention uh, or if you're a person who's got the uh, observational skills. It, for me, I'm glad to have done the rewatch after seeing it about a year or so ago, right after we did this, started doing this podcast is when I watched it the first time. Um, but I'm not going to say that it's one of my favorite movies that I'm going to lean towards a lot, probably mostly because it's just so fucking dark. Uh, so I will give it uh, a three. That's racist. I think <laughs> that's how I meant it. Fair enough. Well, well to, to your, to your point, Corey, like one, one of my favorite science fiction movies of the past several years has been district nine. I've seen it once and that's enough for me. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a great movie, but I'm good. Thanks. It's just that's a really good point. I feel the exact same way. I'm not a huge science fiction fan, but I think District Nine is a great movie. But like I saw it like twice, I'm good. Yeah, it's just one of the movies like uh it 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 aims for a very specific emotional response. That response is a uh, sadness, disgust, and, and and a feeling of depression. It has achieved those things. I don't want to feel those things again, so I'm good. 
Sadness, disgust, and a feeling of depression describes one of my favorite movies to rewatch all the time is The Replacements with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman, uh, which is a football movie. It is a terrible, terrible movie. It basically was Hackman's last film because I think it was just so bad. Uh, he felt like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but I rewatch it every time. It seems to be on air all the fucking time. That and SWAT. And I love both those films, even though I know they're pure shit for some reason, because emotionally i'm not beat up by them and and they're just fun enough and just mindless enough that i can watch and pay little attention to but still get everything i need out of it uh i i gave it a five on attention for i was trying to steer away from what Corey said and you to fucking crickets you guys are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the last one we have is the panic. Uh, how were the effects? Were you surprised? Did it keep you keep you on the edge of your seat? Was it scary? Uh, JF, how about you? I'll give I'll give that a four. It's difficult for me to rate it because I'm. I get. Well, remember what you said about sound earlier. Yeah, no. Think of that as part of this too. Okay, you know what? If just for that, I'll bump it up to a five because that to me was perfect. It it just. Because the thing is, like, I can't say, oh, was I scared or surprised? No, because it was constructed in a way that the surprises, while they do get, they do satisfy you, they're not like, oh, I didn't see it coming. No, like, part of me subconsciously saw these things coming. Like, all, all the hints and, and the building block for that part, of, for these parts of the stories were there, which is what makes it satisfying. But as far as like the, the effects grabbing me, did it keep me on the edge of my seat? Absolutely. I was supposed to do something else while I was writing that, and I didn't do it. I didn't do it at all. So it, it de definitely did pull me in. So, um, yeah, no, definitely a five. And the, the sound thing, if, if you watch the movie again, or people who haven't watched it, if you watch the movie, like, you'll immediately notice how well that thing is constructed, and that's mm -hmm. brilliant. Corey, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go 4.5 on that uh, because of the sound, because of the the feeling when he's watching the movies themselves. The stuff happening around it is is okay. It's it's not completely typical. It's certainly better than things like the remake of Poltergeist, uh, but I think that there is enough of Poltergeist in this movie that I I find the familiarity between the two. But when they do things that are not necessarily original, but the biggest part of what this movie is about, I think they do those things really well. Yeah, I I, <clears throat> I originally hit it at three because none of the jump scares got me, but the the conversation we had about sound and sound design and everything, uh, I bumped it up to a four. With that, I was definitely immersed in it. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Corey, would you so gently start reading the outro for me? Yeah, you can contact us, uh, meaning the podcast of terror, not necessarily JF. You have to go through Akiva Goldsmith for that. Uh, you can no, no, no. People guys. can contact me directly. <laughs> just, just studios, no, just studios, distributors. Uh, you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at pot at gncast.com, uh, or you can leave us a message on the Galactic Netcast website at gncast.com. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Podcast of Terror. And you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever favorite podcatcher you have. And leave us feedback there. We definitely appreciate any kind of reviews. 
Uh, Matt likes to say five-star reviews, and I don't disagree with that, but I will say, you know, if, if it's not a five-star, just the fact that you listen and you were interested in telling people about us or your opinions of us, that's great, too. Uh, hashtag Fat Hipsters. You can find all subscription links and for the show at gncast.com slash subscribe, and you can join the network's Facebook page under Galactic Network. Now, JF, we've got links to both your personal site and to your ink shares for God in the Shed and to the Amazon affiliate link for us if people want to order your book right now. But where else would you like people to find you? Um, cool places to find me. You can go to my website. That's jeffdubo.com. Um, if you go there and you go to jeffdubo.com slash books, you can subscribe to my newsletter. And that's what I'm going. I'm trying really hard to have only one place where I do announcements. So I don't feel like I'm spamming people all the time. And the news, the newsletter seems to be the best place because I'm kind of, I only using it like once every two weeks. So I'm not bothering people too much. So I'm going to be announcing the, the, the campaign for the sequel to Life Engineer very soon. Uh, any news I'm going to have for God in the Shed, any, any property news, audiobook news is all going to be on there. So just, you know, go visit and sign up, jeffdubo.com slash books. And are you still, at the time that this comes out, are you still trying to get people uh, to maybe help nominate you for the award? Oh, absolutely. That's a good point. So I'm the, the, the Dragon Awards are Dragon Con's own literary and media awards. And last year, Life Engineered got mod, nom, nominated. Now, the way this nomination works has nothing to do with the quality of the book. It just has to do with people going to the proper website and signing the book up. So here's what I want you to do, dear pot listeners. <laughs> if you could be so kind as to go to bit.ly slash dragonshed2017, fill out the little form and in the uh, horror novel category nominate a god in the shed by jeff dubow i will absolutely be in your uh, eternal debt like you can come up to me at dragon con and say hey i nominated you and you'll be my friend i'll shake your hand now what if i can't get to dragon con um i i don't know what to tell you matt you're always so negative (laughs) i'm just being realistic Look, look at it this way. Like, if you if I get nominated, I will go to Dragon Con, which I probably can't afford to. Um, so do it to ruin my life, ladies and gentlemen. Fine, fine, just fucking fine, JF. And and uh, your podcast you mentioned Overcast earlier, but you also said your Warhammer Forty K podcast, and I know you're uh, you've got your writing podcast too. Uh, the writing podcast we haven't done in a while. I need to bother my. Uh, I need to start poking at my co-host so we can do uh, another episode. The, the podcast is called Right Brain. You can you can easily Google it. Our, our podcast is theovercatspodcast.com. You can v- go visit us there or find us on iTunes. I do that podcast with the amazing Amy Frost, who basically she she, she makes the podcast. I just show up to say dumb things and, and make insane predictions about the game. If you play Overwatch or you're interested in Overwatch in any way, shape, or form that's the Blizzard game, uh, Overwatch, it, it's, it's a fun podcast. Like, you're not going to get your news there because you'll get your news on the internet before you listen to any podcast anyways. But if you want to listen to two knuckleheads just shoot the shit about a game that they clearly love way more than they probably should that's it's our, our podcast pretty good for that i'll have you know that uh, we hired movers to move and one of the kids was like do you play overwatch 
And I'm like, no, but two friends of mine have a podcast. So hopefully you have one more listener. They'll make two. <laughs> that will. That is another <laughs> example of the, the podcast that you listen to for the people more than for what the show is actually about. Uh, JF and, and Amy are especially good people and fun to listen to. We, we do. Well, Amy, Amy is. <laughs> Amy has elevated this show before as well. Yes. Uh, Corey, where can the, the nice seven listeners of the show find you? Uh, you can go to the site that I help publish comics on for Levi Krauss. It's don'taskcomics.com. You can also check out my wife's horrifyingly weird lowbrow artwork at instagram.com slash hag underscore attack or you can go to arthag.com it will uh, give you links to to that as well uh you can see some of the stuff she's doing the stuff that i'm really proud of to have in my house if not necessarily up in my walls all the time and uh, matt where can people find you you can find me on twitter and instagram and untapped if you want to see how much drinking i do at matt the lifeguard only two t's three t's matt the lifeguard is some weirdo and not nearly as drunk. Nowhere near. So thank you again for listening to another episode of the Podcast Air, and we will talk to you guys next week. The Sci-Fi Survival Guide is a podcast like you've never heard before. It is part of the Galactic Netcasts, but that is where the similarities end. It's a sort of audio feast a theater of the mind you can find out more by going to www.gncasts.com survive maybe you will find out how to survive a nuclear explosion or maybe when the hordes of zombies come knocking at your door Each month, we will take a popular science fiction scenario and I will tell you how to survive. Be prepared at gncasts.com slash survive. Next week on the Podcast of Terror. Next week, we're joined by the film creator, writer, director. I don't know. I recently met him. He seems like a really fucking nice guy. His name is Anthony Browse. I may say his name wrong. I will clear that up for next week. Uh, He created a short called The Audition, which he allowed Corey and I to watch in advance. I wrote a little thingy-dingy about it. Our friends at Horror Geek Life even, uh, they they reviewed it. Everyone seems to like it. Uh, we're going to be talking about the movie Hostel with him, which if you're into uh, murder porn, then you've seen Hostel. Um, but Anthony has a ton of shit going on, so we're going to talk about all of it. Uh, currently only familiar with the audition. But uh, yeah, that'll be coming up next week. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Podcast of Terror, and we will talk to you guys next week. Stay scared, everybody. Bye. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. <laughs>